You're listening to Watchmen Internet Radio. My name is Robert King. It is December the 27th, 2018. We're going to play a little music. We're going to discuss some Bible topics. And we're going to talk about the future. And I have a special request. daily text for Thursday, December 27th, theme scripture from Deuteronomy 18.15, Jehovah your God will raise up for you from among your brothers a prophet like me. You must listen to him. Isaiah foretold that this one would become a leader and commander. And Daniel was inspired to write about the coming of Messiah, the leader. Finally, Jesus Christ identified himself as the leader of God's people. Jesus' disciples followed him willingly, and they affirmed that he was Jehovah's choice. What convinced them? At Jesus' baptism, John the baptizer saw the heavens being parted and, like a dove, the Spirit coming down upon him. For the rest of Jesus' earthly ministry, God's Holy Spirit empowered Jesus to perform miracles and to speak with divine authority. In addition, Holy Spirit produced in Jesus perfect fruitage, including love, joy, and stalwart faith. No other leader provided such convincing evidence Jesus was Jehovah's choice. Let's take a look at the verse in Deuteronomy. You know, it's always good to consider the context. And the Watchtower, you know, this is what they've done really, really well in making the Bible researchable. Quick note tabs or on the verse itself, highlight it, 
you can see what it says in the King James or the Bible or uh, the American Standard, I believe. But it's also good to, if you click on the verses in the text, like in the daily text, uh, consider those verses and read the larger context. So let's do that. What is written here in Deuteronomy? It's Moses speaking, and he says that Jehovah will raise up for you from among your brothers a prophet like me. And we're going to elaborate on that. And Moses went on to say, This is in response to what you ask of Jehovah your God in Horeb on the day of the assembly, when you said, Do not let me hear the voice of Jehovah my God or see this great fire any more so that I do not die. And then Jehovah said to me, What they have said is good. I will raise up for them from the midst of their brothers a prophet like you. And God went on to say, I'll I'll require an accounting of anyone who doesn't listen to his words. Well, the day of Horeb, Moses is referring to when the Israelites had come out of Egypt. They came to the foot of Mount Sinai. And that is where Jehovah came down, figuratively speaking, anyway. And it was a fear-inspiring display. Just imagine you're standing at the foot of this mountain, and it's shrouded in smoke, and there's fire and flames at the top of the mountain, and the earth is shaking, and you hear these horns, these trumpets blaring from the invisible, That was a terrifying display. But Jehovah invited Moses, or rather commanded him, to come up. And Moses himself said he was trembling with fear. But he went up into this mountain to meet Jehovah. And of course, Jehovah revealed himself to Moses. Moses asked to see his face. He said, well, you can't do that. You won't live through the encounter. But he had Moses turn his back, and he put his hand over Moses' eyes, so to speak. And he walked behind Moses, again, so to speak. And apparently, even in that position with God's hand over his eyes, he saw God's glory. Well, we can kind of get a glimpse of what that is about You know, if you close your eyes and look up at the sun, don't dare open your eyes, but if you, you can see the sun through your eyelids, can't you? Even if you put your hand over your eyes on a bright sunny day, you can see some of the light. Anyway, it was a fearsome display. But the Apostle Paul wrote about this in the 12th chapter of Hebrews. But before I consider that, I'd like to uh, go off on a tangent here, because the very next verse, the next span of verses in that 18th chapter, is something that people quote when they refer to the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society as a way to uh, prove to people that the Watchtower could not be Jehovah's organization, as advertised. In verse 20, Moses said, If any prophet presumptuously speaks a word in my name, 
that I did not command him to speak or speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet must die. However, you may say in your heart, how will we know that Jehovah has not spoken the word? The answer is, when the prophet speaks in the name of Jehovah and the word is not fulfilled or does not come true, then Jehovah did not speak that word. The prophet spoke it presumptuously. You should not fear him. Hmm. Well, then knowledgeable people will say, well, the watchtower has said this, they have said that, that this is going to happen, that's going to happen. It hasn't happened. It didn't happen. And does not the watchtower speak in the name of Jehovah? We'd have to say, yes, they do. Has the watchtower spoken things that have not come about? Wasn't the world supposed to end in 1914? Yes. Wasn't it supposed to end again in 1925? Yep, yep, yep. Uh, 1975? Yep. What does that mean? It means the watchtower has spoken presumptuously. Doesn't the 13th chapter of Ezekiel speak of the stupid prophets who speak without Jehovah telling them to speak? And they build this shoddy whitewashed wall and Jehovah commands that the wall be knocked down. But the point is, God says, no longer will these stupid prophets exists within the intimate company in the midst of my people. So when these prophets that Moses is referring to speak, they're speaking to in the midst of God's organization. They're fault they're not it doesn't mean that God's organization is false. It means that there are false prophets within. So don't let the uh tricksters fool you. They, they, they like to pull this scripture out. Look, the Apostle Peter said, just as there were false prophets among the ancient Israelites, so there will be false teachers among you, among Christians. Are we exempt from that? No. So the watchtower is uh, menaced, you might say, by a satanic presence within, and that's what Christ is going to deal with upon his return. But now, as I mentioned, let's consider what the Apostle Paul had to say about uh, this awesome spectacle at the foot of Sinai. And he was writing to the Hebrew Christians, as I say, in the 12th chapter, and he was using this as a pattern in verse 18, he says, For you have not approached something that can be felt and that has been set aflame with fire and a dark cloud and thick darkness and a storm and the blast of a trumpet and the voice speaking words, which on hearing the people begged that nothing further should be spoken to them. All right, so he's referring back to that. But he's saying, you Christians can't see this spectacle, Right? He says, but you, referring to anointed Christians, have approached 
of Mount Zion and a city of the living God, heavenly Jerusalem and myriads of angels and general assembly and the congregation of the firstborn who have been enrolled in the heavens and God, the judge of all, and the spiritual lives of righteous ones who have been made perfect, and Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and the sprinkled blood, which speaks in a better way than Abel's blood. So, Paul is referring to anointed Christians being part of this congregation of the firstborn. Jesus is the firstborn. As Paul wrote in the 8th chapter of Romans, Jesus is the firstborn of many brothers. Jesus was born again when he was baptized and anointed with Holy Spirit. He becomes the firstborn of this new creation. And because those others who are part of this new creation are imperfect, they need Christ to mediate in their behalf. He's the mediator of this new covenant that creates a new creation. So anyway, Paul goes on to say, see that you do not ref- that you do not refuse to listen to the one who is speaking. And don't beg off like the Hebrews did at the foot of Mount Sinai. But now, here, here's the point I would like to stress. Paul says, if we don't listen, how much more will we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from the heavens? At that time, his voice shook the earth, referring to Sinai. But now he has promised, and he's quoting from Haggai chapter 2, yet once more I shall shake not only the earth, but also the heaven. And Paul goes on to explain, now the expression yet once more indicates the removal of the things that are shaken, things that have been made, in order that the things not shaken may remain. Therefore, seeing that we are to receive a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us continue to receive undeserved kindness through which we may acceptably offer God sacred service with godly fear and awe. And he concludes that chapter by saying, for our God is a consuming fire. But now, Haggai or Jehovah says he will shake the heavens and the earth and the desirable things will come in. And Paul is noting that this is at the end of the Christian order. It accomplishes God's purpose. Yet once more, it's the end, just as in the first century, it was the end of the Jewish system. That's why Paul was writing this letter. He was preparing the Hebrews to leave Jerusalem. We do not have here a city that will remain We're part of this heavenly kingdom. Don't be fixated on Jerusalem and all of that. Because many of the Hebrew Christians were. They were still going to the temple. They were still observing the holidays, the festivals, and so forth. Even though they were anointed Christians. But Paul was saying this this is all going to be dissolved. It's going to be shaken into oblivion. Which it was, of course, in the year 70. And now, we as Christians are in a similar position. We're facing the removal of all earthly organizations, including 
including the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society. But that's not what the Watchtower teaches. The Watchtower teaches that Jehovah began shaking the world, that Haggai was undergoing fulfillment, began undergoing fulfillment, I should say, excuse me, back in 1914. I'd like to read to you, just as a sampling, a quote from a Watchtower. This is just a mere 11 years ago. And in the Watchtower from 2007, February 1st, I'll post a link on on the blog article here. Uh, Concerning his spiritual house of worship, Jehovah foretold, I will rock all the nations and the desirable things of all the nations must come in and I will fill this house with glory. It goes on to say, this amazing prophecy had fulfillment in the time of Haggai when a restored remnant of God's people rebuilt the temple in Jerusalem. Today, Haggai's words are having further fulfillment in regards to Jehovah's great spiritual temple. Oh, really? Yes. Paragraph 9. Millions have already flocked to the figurative temple in order to worship God with spirit and truth. And every year, hundreds of thousands of desirable things of all the nations continue to stream in. And they give their worldwide report for the previous year. A quarter of a million were baptized in symbol of their dedication to Jehovah. Well, according to the Watchtower's take on this, that means that the shaking began in 1914. Everything is tied to 1914, right? Well, Jesus spoke about a shaking, didn't he? When he spoke about the things to come upon the world, when nation rises against nation and kingdom against kingdom and food shortages and great earthquakes, and pestilence, and men will become faint out of fear and expectation of the things coming upon the inhabited earth, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. There's your shaking. And yet the watchtower says that hasn't happened. They used to say it had happened, that people were fearful, that the fear that was induced during the Cold War, the fear of nuclear annihilation, that was the fulfillment of the prophecy. But now they've said, no, that really hasn't happened yet. And they're right. And But what they're wrong about is that nation has risen against nation and all of that, that Christ has returned, that the parousia has begun, that the mountain of the house of Jehovah has been lifted up, that people are streaming to the mountain of the house of Jehovah simply by being baptized as Jehovah's Witnesses. And that just ain't so. But the shaking is coming. The whole world is going to be shaken when Christ comes down, just as that mountain shook, literally, when Jehovah figuratively came down. Well, that's what my work is all about. That's why I call myself a watchman, because I'm thoroughly familiar with the Watchtower's teachings, and I believe that the Watchtower and Jehovah's Witnesses are fulfilling a vital aspect of Jehovah's purpose, the preaching of the good news, and then the end will come. Not the end of the world, 
the end of Christianity. Hmm? Jesus said, I will be with you all the days until the conclusion. And the conclusion is a period of time. As we well know, the watchtower says the conclusion began in 1914. The time of the end. We're deep, deep, deep into the time of the end since 1914. Well, if Jesus is with his disciples until the conclusion, is he not with them during the conclusion? No. He's with them in a more profound way. He's with them in the sense of revealing himself to them. And that has not happened. That is what will happen during the big shakeout. This piece is called Bright Future. And you know, we have a very bright future. The brightest future possible. Provided we can survive through the coming darkest night imaginable. I thought I would read a mailbag question that uh, sort of ties in with what I was speaking about in uh, connection with the daily text, the article is entitled, And Then the End Will Come. It's from a couple of years ago. The questioner says, Why do you think the end hasn't come yet? What is the purpose of allowing the present system to continue? What is Jehovah actually waiting for to bring this miserable system to an end? It is disheartening, to say the least, that 2017 is upon us and this wicked system is still in charge. Well, yeah, and here we are. 2019 is upon us, my friend. I'm sorry, but... Well, here's my response. The short answer is, God is patient. As the Apostle Peter wrote, Jehovah is not slow concerning his promise, as some people consider slowness. 
but he is patient with you because he does not desire anyone to be destroyed, but desires all to attain to repentance. And likely you know the next verse, which goes on to say, But Jehovah's day will come as a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, but the elements, being intensely hot, will be dissolved, and the earth and the works in it will be exposed. So again, we are reminded that Jehovah's Day, or the Day of the Lord, will come as unexpectedly as a thief. And for whatever it is worth, according to Paul, the thief-like coming of the end will be immediately preceded by their saying, Peace and security. Jesus spoke of the things that must occur before the end, saying, But the one who has endured to the end will be saved. And this good news of the kingdom will be preached in all the inhabited earth for a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. In furtherance of answering the question as to why the end has not come yet, It is obviously because the good news of the kingdom has not been preached to the extent that God desires. How much longer will it go on? It is impossible to say. However, as the traditional door-to-door ministry becomes less and less effective, it seems to me that the Watchtowers made great strides in recent years through the promotion of the information cart campaigns and by means of JW.org, which has made information available in over 700 languages. Given the fact that even so-called undeveloped nations now have limited access to the World Wide Web, the sheer scope of the Watchtower's multi-language global outreach is nothing short of phenomenal, and has been recognized as such. However, Because Jehovah's Witnesses are laboring under the deluding influence, there is also considerable confusion as to what the future holds. For instance, Jehovah's Witnesses likely assume when Jesus spoke of the good news being preached and then the end will come, they would be speaking about the end of the system at Armageddon. But that is not the case. Excuse me. Back in 1981, an article appeared in the August 1st issue of the Watchtower entitled Harvesting in the Time of the End, in which a distinction was made between the two Greek words syntelia and telos. Syntelia is translated as conclusion of the system of things in the New World Translation and the end of the age or even the end of the world in some other translations. But the article makes the point that centilia is not an absolute end, as is signified by telos, but is a period immediately preceding the end. Hence, in the Hebrew and Aramaic text, time of the end is the equivalent expression. Interestingly, the ancient Greek translation of the book of Daniel, the Septuagint, used the word centilia where the expression time of the end appears in modern English. Of course, the Watchtower insists that the time of the end and the conclusion of the system began in 1914 and has been ongoing over more than a century, and it is believed that the end, 
telos will terminate, punctuate the conclusion. However, it appears the watchtower has it turned around. The end that comes after the good news has been preached in all the earth is not the end of the world. It is the end of the preaching and disciple-making work and the beginning of the relatively short period of time known as the conclusion of the system, the harvest. That the end is not necessarily the end of the world is evident in the use of the word in the seventh chapter of Ezekiel, where Jehovah commanded his watchmen to say to Israel, An end. The end has come upon the four corners of the land. The end is now upon you, and I will unleash my anger against you, and I will judge you according to your ways, and will call you to account for all your detestable deeds. Look, a calamity, a unique calamity is coming. An end is coming. The end will come. It will rouse itself against you. Look, it is coming. Your turn has come, you who inhabit the land. The time is coming. The day is near. There is confusion and not joyful shouting on the mountains. The end that came upon Israel was obviously and not the end of Israel as a nation. It was the end of the wickedness and idolatry that prevailed. Most interestingly, Jehovah entered into judgment with his wayward people by means of the sword, the famine, and pestilence, according to Ezekiel 7.15. The sword, famine, and pestilence are the exact same ordering of the opening of seals 2 through 4 in Revelation, and Jesus foretold the war, famine, and pestilence would mark the beginning pangs of distress during the conclusion, or time of the end. While Jehovah's Witnesses are compelled to believe that the First World War and the Spanish flu fulfilled the sign, no one can explain how that war and ensuing pandemic may have accomplished Jehovah's judgments. It is also considered to be impossible that war, famine, and pestilence could come upon the world in the future since that doesn't fit into the Watchtower's 1914 dogma. But needless to say, the coming of Christ will bring an end to the Watchtower's 1914 deception and the end of the preaching of the good news. And that is really another reason God has let it go on. In order to allow presumptuousness and wickedness to come to full bloom among the leadership of Jehovah's Witnesses, as stated in the seventh chapter. Look, the day, look, it is coming. Your turn has come, the rod has blossomed, and presumptuousness has sprouted. Violence has grown into a rod of wickedness. Neither they, nor their wealth, nor their crowds, nor their prominence will survive. The time will come. The day will arrive. Simultaneous with the accelerated work of preaching the good news, the Watchtower's own sins are coming to light more and more. Most assuredly, 
The time will come. The day will arrive when Jehovah will require an accounting. End of article. Well, what do you think, friends? That article was written a couple of years ago. Uh, Do you think we're closer to World War III? Are you watching what's going on in the world? The preparations, the pushing. Do you know the United States is now sending weaponry and military advisors into Ukraine right on Russia's border, which is a violation of all the terms of the breakup of the USSR? NATO promised that they would not recruit former USSR nations, former Warsaw Pact nations, into their NATO alliance. So in other words, there would be a buffer zone between Europe and Russia. But now that's being obliterated, dissolved. Latvia, Lithuania, and uh, as I say, Ukraine are now being armed against Russia. They know what's up. They've brought their tanks and military equipment up to the border. They don't want war, but they're not going to let Russia be attacked. They don't. <laughs> they, Russia has been uh, through a lot. They have a long history of repelling invaders. Napoleon brought his army up into Russia and uh, he left conquered. The Nazis thought they could take Russia and they lost an entire army. You know, half the people killed in World War II, nearly half, were ethnic Russians. They suffered tremendously. Vladimir Putin's brother was killed by the Nazis. Uh, Vladimir Putin has said that you don't want to go to war, but if war is inevitable, you strike first. So the British are pushing the Americans into a suicidal attack against Russia. And Trump is being uh, pilloried. I mean, all this nonsense about Russiagate, everybody knows that's fake. And all of Trump's supposed to racism and sex, that's inconsequential. Yeah, he's he's not an honest man. He's, he's not moral. Uh, but he committed the unforgivable sin even during his campaign when he said, What's wrong with making peace with Russia? But the forces arrayed against him are making it impossible. So someone wants war, and apparently that's what they're going to get, a big one. And it's going to shake the world and accomplish Jehovah's judgments. Do you see how it all ties in? I hope so. I mentioned at the onset I had a special request. Someone who comments on uh, the Watchman website, Bonnie, has mentioned her personal uh, situation. Uh, House is facing foreclosure. They need a little money. Someone suggested they set up a GoFundMe page. She has done that, and uh, I'm making mention of that and posting a link to her FundMe page. And uh, I'm asking you, my dear listeners, to help out a sister and a friend. Uh, I would just remind you that the proverb says that the one who shows favor to the lowly one is lending 
to Jehovah, and he will repay. Think of that. Jehovah owns everything. He absolutely owns everything. Things that we, we have uh, no knowledge of. He owns our very breath. Imagine loaning something to God. But he considers it. Uh, that's his way of showing his appreciation. If we t- lend to someone else, if we give to someone else, not lend, if we give to someone else, Jehovah considers it as lending to him. And he will repay us. Think about that. And we're not talking about a bunch of money here. If everyone gives a little bit, a few dollars, five, I mean, what's a cup of coffee cost at Starbucks? One of these grand latte things. I mean, that's four or five bucks, right? So can you spare a cup of coffee? I think most of us could. Anyway, I wish you all the best. That's going to do it for today. I'll talk to you tomorrow.